Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Tuesday, the 1st of September. India recorded close to 70,000 new cases of the novel coronavirus, bringing the nation's total to over 36.9 lakhs. With the death toll inching close to 70,000 with more than 800 new deaths, India surpassed Mexico to become the country with the third highest fatalities in the world. The United States and Brazil occupy the first and second spots respectively. The city of Pune today overtook Delhi to become the city with the maximum number of confirmed cases in India, recording 1931 new cases in the last 24 hours. This makes Pune the city with the highest confirmed cases and most number of active cases. Pune has more than 50,000 active patients compared to Delhi's 15,000 and Mumbai's 20,000. In the months since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, the administration bodies of Pune have been thrown into disarray with both state and union representatives such as district collector Naval Kishore Ram being transferred out of the region. Meanwhile, the Maharashtra state government announced its guidelines for the fourth phase of the lockdown relaxations, largely following the lead of the central government, albeit with a few added restrictions. It will allow all hotels in the state to reopen and resume regular operations at full capacity and remove any permit requirements for inter-district travel of people and goods. Private offices can also function now with 30% of their employees in person up from the previous 10% and private transport operators can resume services. However, educational institutions, in-person dining and most metro and suburban rail services will stay closed. Metro and transport services however will be available to test takers in Maharashtra and elsewhere as the JEE main entrance examination session commences today. Indian Railways has announced that it will allow students and their guardians to travel by special suburban train services in Mumbai on exam days. Other states including Odisha, Madhya Pradesh and Chhattisgarh have also committed to providing transportation for students taking the examination but there have been widespread reports of students and families struggling to reach their exam centers while staying safe from the COVID-19 virus. Former Indian diplomat K Shankar Bajpay passed away due to COVID-19 in the late hours of Sunday. In his lifetime he served as India's ambassador to the United States, China and Pakistan, three of the most important diplomatic postings for an Indian official. He also prepared the diplomatic ground for the final integration of Sikkim into India in 1973. A quote from his last published piece in the press reads, "Democracy depends on reason, debates between opinions based on reflection, mutual civility." But more and more people now despise reasoned argument. They demonstrate in legislatures or outside them, taking violently to the streets. The only solution commonly urged is for strong government, despite the inevitable risk of its corruption into mindless tyranny, even worse than today's inane shouting matches. Do read the obituary our columnist Anand Vardhan wrote for K Shankar Bajpay. It is available on the News Laundry website. Also on more developments on the COVID-19 crisis in India do tune into News Laundry Hafta our weekly podcast that discusses the news of the week. In the latest episode our panelists conversed with the acclaimed health and public policy journalist Banjot Kaur. Here is a snippet from their conversation. There has really not been any tracking. A we do not even know that those who those, all those who attended these events whether this was Ayodhya or whether that was that you know that puja in Odisha whether all of them were even tested. contact tracing as you were talking about it's almost an exercise i won't say in complete futility but it's it's not useful also at this moment 
the reason being of course indian government doesn't you know accept it but we are in community transmission we, yes. we have been in community transmission for so very long now that people even don't discuss this term now it's, it's a given that we are in community transmission if i am infected then you may have to trace back say 70 or 100 people and if 70000 people are coming you know if 70000 people are positive every day how on earth will you do contact trace We reported the sad demise of the former president Pranab Mukherjee in yesterday's edition of Daily Dose. The former president was 84 years old and was hospitalized for a surgery to remove a brain clot and a positive test for COVID-19. He died at the Indian Army's Research and Referral Hospital in New Delhi yesterday evening. Mukherjee served as India's 13th president from 2012 to 2017. Previously he had also served as a cabinet minister in the United Progressive Alliance government handling the portfolio of external affairs and finance on separate occasions. He was also the finance minister in the Indira Gandhi government from 1982 to 1984 and the external affairs minister in the Narasimha Rao government from 1995 to 1996. In 2019 he was awarded the Bharat Ratna the highest Indian civilian award. The center has announced a 7-day period of mourning as a mark of respect to the departed dignitary. During this time, the Indian flag will fly at half-mast in buildings across the country. He was given a formal state funeral at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Tributes dedicated to Pranam Mukherjee poured in from across the country's political spectrum and from South Asian leaders. In a tweet, Prime Minister Modi said that Mukherjee left an indelible mark on the development trajectory of our nation. Former Prime Minister Manmohan Singh described him in a statement as one of the greatest leaders of independent India. The Prime Ministers of Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka also expressed their condolences. Do read the obituary for Pranam Mukherjee also written by Anand Vardhan on newslaundry.com. The Indian Express published a bombshell report this morning concerning the BJP abusing their power to make special requests to social media giant Facebook in the run-up to the 2019 general elections. According to a report in January 2019, two months before the Lok Sabha elections, the BJP flagged 44 pages to Facebook run by political opponents and critics of the party. They included the official Facebook page of the Bhim Army, a page titled We Hate BJP, and an informational page administered by Alt News founder Pratik Sinha titled The Truth of Gujarat. The report found that some of these pages were subsequently removed from the platform with no public notice. Additionally, in November 2019, the BJP also asked Facebook India to reinstate 17 previously banned pages and enable the monetization function on two pages for which it was removed. The 17 reinstated pages are now all back on the platform and almost exclusively repost articles from right-wing blogs and websites. However, none of these pages are directly labeled as connected to a political party. This report only comes days after the Wall Street Journal published an investigation into Facebook India's public policy director Ankit Das. They reported that Das had objected to applying Facebook's hate speech removal policies to at least four pages or groups linked to the BJP. The original report on the story was written by Karishma Mehrotra and published by the Indian Express. The News Laundry team has also summarized the investigation and contextualized the events that occurred in an article titled BJP asks Facebook to monetize Op India, remove Bhim Army page. The article is available for you to read on our website newslaundry.com. Authoritarianism, abuse of power and corporate interests are the enemies of journalistic integrity and independent media. The media must be free and fair, uninfluenced by corporate or state interests. 
And that is exactly why News Laundry does not run any advertisements. You, our listeners and readers, need to pay to keep news free. Support independent media by becoming a News Laundry subscriber today. Go to our website and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner. The Ministry of Statistics and Program Implementation yesterday released the official GDP numbers for the second quarter of 2020. The numbers show an extraordinary 23.9% reduction in India's output for the recently ended quarter. The Indian economy was particularly affected by economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic because it was already facing a considerable slowdown prior to the crisis. In the final quarter of the year 2019, GDP grew by just 3.1%, the lowest in seven years. Then in March 2020, the COVID-19 lockdown aggravated the effects, sending the economy into a downward spiral, leaving millions of Indians jobless and destitute and placing businesses on the brink of bankruptcy. According to the official report, the worst-hit sectors of the economy were construction, manufacturing and trade, hotels and transport, with each one recording contractions between 39 and 50 percent. Economists interviewed by the Bloomberg had earlier forecasted that India might experience a 18 percent contraction in its GDP, marking the 23.9 percent number released today even worse than previously estimated. Former Finance Minister and Member of the Opposition P. Chidambaram in a statement said, and I quote, The country as a whole is paying a heavy price and the poor and the vulnerable are in despair. It should be a matter of shame to the government that did nothing, literally nothing, to cushion the fall by taking suitable fiscal and welfare measures, but we know that the Modi government has no shame and will not acknowledge its mistake. Unquote. Although this quarter's GDP numbers show a disastrous collapse of the Indian economy, the BJP government has made accessing important economic indicators and statistics more difficult by changing measurements and artificially revising projections. In March this year, Vivek Kaul published an analytical opinion piece breaking down issues with the current government's economic reporting practices titled, India is constantly tinkering with GDP data. It is hard to rely on it now. The article is available for you to read on newslaundry.com. And now for some international updates. More than 261,000 new cases were detected yesterday alone. And at least 850,000 people have lost their lives to the disease. A new resurgence of COVID-19 infections continues to trouble Western Europe. Spain has registered more than 23,000 new COVID-19 cases since Friday, while France's new COVID-19 infections surged by almost 50% in August, hitting 281,000 cases. Nevertheless, children across Europe are returning to school this week as the new academic year begins. Schools in France and Belgium start from today, while those in Germany have been open for a month already. Dr. Ted Rose, leader of the World Health Organization at a press conference yesterday, took issue with the opinion that high death rates from COVID-19 are not a major concern since it is mainly the elderly dying with the disease. He said, and I quote, Accepting someone to die because of age is moral bankruptcy at its highest and we shouldn't allow our society to behave this way. Unquote. He also added that although countries should listen to the concerns of those protesting against restrictions imposed due to the virus, they must remind protesters of the danger the virus poses. A new mass testing program was initiated in Hong Kong this morning, aiming to offer frequent voluntary tests to millions of residents for free. However, the initiative has been overshadowed by fears that the Chinese government is using the testing program as a means of harvesting Hong Kong protesters' DNA and medical information. The concerns lead from the fact that many of the testing firms and doctors involved in the program are not local but from mainland China.
As a result, turnout by the general public has been far lower than expected. Facebook has threatened to stop Australian users from sharing any news content on their platform in response to the Australian government drafting a law forcing it to pay news publishers for their articles. Will Eastern, the managing director of Facebook Australia and New Zealand, wrote in a blog post this morning that the draft law misunderstands the dynamics of the internet and will do damage to the very news organisations the government is trying to protect. He added, and I quote, Assuming this draft code becomes law, we will reluctantly stop allowing publishers and people in Australia from sharing local and international news on Facebook and Instagram. Unquote. In response to Facebook's blog post, Josh Frydenberg, speaking as the treasurer of the Australian government, responded that the government would continue with the legislation and did not respond to coercion or heavy-handed threats. The mandatory news code has been backed by all major Australian media companies including News Corp Australia, Nine Entertainment and Guardian Australia as a way to offset damage caused by the loss of advertising revenue to technology corporations such as Facebook and Google. Speaking about the proposed legislation, the director of the Australia Institute Centre for Responsible Technology, Peter Lewis, said that Facebook is prepared to remove trusted journalism from its site but will allow disinformation and conspiracy theories to flourish. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.